Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, we are excited to bring Lucas Spiegel on the podcast. He traveled the world for 22 months, staying with host families and taking trains and riding motorcycles across countries. And he had an amazing experience, which we'll hear all while being completely vegan. And I think what drew us to his story is that so many people feel like you can't be vegan and travel. Or even if you can, you're really missing out on the cultural experience a place has to offer. But Lucas tells us otherwise. He fully embraced the lifestyle and shared homes with people who accommodated him and his plant-based diet. So We hope you find this inspiring. Since this episode is all about travel, our first sponsor, Live Bar, fits perfectly with the theme. Live Bar is a superfood bar that's totally organic, all vegan. They actually recently refreshed their whole line, so all the flavors are now vegan. And I love it because it's in a fully compostable wrapper. Almost always when you're traveling and you're picking up easy snacks on the go, It's loaded with plastic and single-use packaging that just gets thrown in the trash and ends up in landfills. But these are fully compostable. So way to go, Live Bar. They're also really tasty and the packaging is super cute and fun. And as Michelle mentioned, the best thing is that they're eco-friendly. One thing that we consistently bring up is trying to do the best we can do. And with snacks available that make it easy for us to do what we want to do, is just all the better. So thank you so much, Live Bar. And I cannot wait. I'm traveling a little bit to see family and we'll definitely be bringing my Live Bars. Yes, they're soy-free, they're corn-free, dairy-free, gluten-free, nut-free, and of course, vegan. And the kind of cool thing is that these bars are super healthy. They're packed with superfoods. And when you open it up, you see everything in them. So you can see sesame seeds and all different things, but they're actually nut-free. So they're safe when you're traveling. If you're around people who might have food allergies, that's a pretty pretty cool factor. And they don't melt or freeze. So a lot of times when we pack things in our bag and it gets shoved to the bottom and you're on a, in the heat and the cold and the airplane, you get where you're going and it's a complete mushy mess. But these won't do that. So way to go, Live Bar. Thank you so much for sponsoring this episode. And I'm also planning on putting them in my stockings. That is really cool. <laughs> That's real. It's an easy thing for me to bring and I'm going to stuff my stockings with them. Hey, friends and family, please eat healthier. Here you go. <laughs> we'll get you started. But also they do have a discount code. If you want to check them out on their website, livebar.com, use the code plantpowered20 for 20% off. Hi, Lucas. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me. Where are you calling us from today? I am in Eugene, Oregon right now. Oh, West Coast, West Coast. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a good home base. (laughs) Nice. Are you staying home for a while or are you thinking about your next destination already? Well, I've been, since I got back from my my trip, my big round the world trip, I took a couple of years to finish writing, putting together the book and working on another philanthropic project. And now those things are kind of wrapped up. So I, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be here. Obviously, it's a it's a difficult time at the time of this recording. The the future is still pretty unknown. So hopefully, I'll be able to get back out on the road soon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before we jump into your big trip, because Michelle and I found it so compelling, you mentioned you wrote a book, and we'll talk more about that. But first, can we start with where are you from, and uh, have you always been plant based? Yeah. I grew up in Colorado and I've been in Oregon for on and off the last 25 years or so. So those primarily where I've grown up and spent my adulthood. I was not always plant-based, but I grew up in a relatively unique situation in terms of my parenting and the community that I was in. I was basically raised by a couple of hippies. And so when I was two years old, I lived in a teepee on, on a kind of a commune in Missouri. And actually, my stepdad at the time, or when I was quite young around then, is the 
the man who invented Rice Dream, which was one of the first oh, wow. non-dairy oh. plant milks. And so he was he was kind of working on prototypes for, for Rice Dream, which was not only one of the first plant milks, but one of the first um, non-dairy ice creams as well when I was I st- living with him as a small child. I love um, those Rice Dream ice those bars with the chocolate and the nuts on them they're very tasty. yeah and they're they're moon pies it's it's one of those things that they're a lot of their products have not changed in many decades and that's one of the ones that has aged pretty well surprisingly well our co-op sells them individually and yeah. it's nice to go there and just buy one to enjoy on yeah, a hot summer sure. day yeah i agree that's really cool so, that you grew up exposed to hippies and a lot of people probably who were vegetarian, maybe even vegan. I didn't even know another vegetarian or vegan until I was in college. And I grew up in the Bay Area. Like a really progressive oh, wow. area. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was really lucky. I I went vegan pretty relatively young. Uh, I was vegetarian for a couple years beforehand. And then when I was 16 years old, I decided to go vegan. Decided it would just be more consistent with my values of compassion and you know this was before the internet so i didn't really have a lot of details about what exactly happens on factory farms and things like that but just had a general sense it would be more aligned with my values and decided to try it for a week and yeah that was almost 28 years ago now so i saw in your book that you had a picture of you with a chicken and that is so cute. It's nice that you had that relationship growing up with some farm yeah. animals. Yeah, this is sort of a flashback that I, I wrote about in the book, but is really interesting looking back in retrospect. Uh, this was when I was in Missouri, uh, when I was you know maybe six years old, and the, the photo that you're describing is just me in the the backyard uh, or in this in the woods, basically in Missouri, holding the chicken one of the chickens we were raising and I loved them. I, I've always kind of loved and had an affinity with animals, but also we still ate the chickens that we raised. And it was definitely a conflict, an internal conflict that I at age six did not know how to navigate, uh, certainly. And yeah, I think it's just been a long process, a lifelong process of of aligning my my actions more closely with my my values and yeah it w- was nice to to not only have that connection with animals even if it was complicated at the time as a young child and then being in kind of the health food alternative food community uh, my mother actually ran and managed a health food store when I was uh, when I was a teenager and so that was extremely lucky. Even before I stopped eating meat, I could basically go into this, walk into a health food store and eat whatever I wanted off the shelf. It was extremely a lucky privilege to have. And so when I did stop eating meat and eventually all other animal products as well, it was a significant change, but it was not as though I was having to completely reinvent my diet or learn about a bunch of foods that I were unfamiliar to me. You know, I already knew how to cook tofu in a way that I liked when I decided to stop eating meat. So that was made it a lot easier, even at age 16. <laughs> Definitely easier. I was so completely unaware of what to do with tofu. And mm-hmm. I I grew up my, with my grandpa, who's Japanese, and okay. he would just make some slits and then pour some tofu on it, and sorry, soy sauce on it, and just eat yeah. it. And right. that was not my jam. <laughs> so that was yeah. the only way I knew how to eat tofu was just like plain with a little bit of soy sauce. And it was a challenge for me. Like it's a, the foundation that you had definitely seems like it made it more just an easier transition, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah this, it's interesting thinking about just how our palates developed depending on what we ate as as a child and your family, you know, maybe when they were children like that's what they ate and so it just they developed a taste for it and uh yeah if somebody else is being introduced to tofu just raw with soy sauce for the, their first introduction to tofu <laughs> but, um, might be unusual but actually when i was stud- studying architecture 
in uh, Japan was my study abroad program. And I was in Kyoto, which is where some of like the best tofu in the world is made. And we did have some some tofu just raw with soy sauce. And it was such a different experience because this is tofu that is made fresh on a daily basis and sold by these people who have been making it their whole lives. And the flavor was just like so much fresher and more delicate. And so to have that tofu with soy sauce, it's still an acquired taste, but (laughs) I found it really (laughs) enjoyable personally. That's awesome. One of my deepest regrets is that I was really fortunate and traveled a lot when I was younger. My best friend when I was in younger years, her family lived in Japan and I got to go to Japan with her and I got to go to all these places, but it was before I was vegan. And you might think that, well, traveling so much easier because you're not vegan, but I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I could have gone there when I had an appreciation for tofu and all the amazing plant-based foods that you can find in these different places that don't don't exist in the same way here in the US. Yeah, it's it's a good point because a lot of people think of oh if I stop eating animal products then that's such a a sacrifice that I'm making and it's you know I don't want to limit my experience or limit my diet in that way and really there is such a huge wealth of of different food and cuisines all around the world that either are traditionally plant-based or can are close to plant-based and can easily be adapted that most people have never even heard of, much less tried. And I find that that's a pretty common experience with people who start eating plant-based is they realize, okay, well, I have to start learning new recipes. And then they start getting into different cuisine from, from India or Thailand or Indonesia or wherever it is, and they start learning about all of these foods that they never tried before. So it can actually be a really expansive experience and not a limiting one. Before we start talking about travel, which is why we brought you on, I, I really appreciated in your chapter seven, so we're jumping ahead, how you acknowledged your privilege. I feel like people they don't have the opportunities. Maybe our listeners have never traveled outside of our country or maybe outside of their city or state or have just not had the same experience as you. And you acknowledge that and you specifically say you're grateful or you're privileged to be from the United States where you have opportunities. And I just found that really touching to not only have that piece of the puzzle that you are grateful for your experiences. uh, But also you realize that people in other places don't have the same opportunities as you because of simply where you were born. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you appreciate that. The the chapter is a little bit, maybe not out of place, but just sort of thematically, you could probably take that chapter out and not notice it in a way. But I did want to include that piece and do think that it's important because it is it is a reality of my situation that I am quite privileged even compared to other people also born in the US when I traveled or or lived abroad especially in places like India it's impossible to not be confronted with your own privilege because the situation the life situation of of people even people who are comparatively like middle class by the scale of local standards still have so many fewer opportunities um, than I do. And as you mentioned, it's not through any any fault of theirs or any virtue of mine. It's it's pure privilege and luck of being born in a time and in a place where I was of the skin color that I am. And yeah, it's one it's one of those things that you can try to put out of your mind when you're traveling, but it's really a, a disservice to yourself. And it's it's just not going to make your experience better by by pretending that this privilege doesn't exist. Well, thanks for including that. I really appreciated it. I would love for you to give a very brief synopsis. Michelle and I have already talked about it in the intro, but we would love to hear a very brief synopsis of what inspired you 
to start traveling and then where you went? Okay. Well, I was living in Vancouver, BC at the time. And I, my friends were making a, a 30 before 30 list of things they want to accomplish or achieve or do before they were 30. And it started getting me to think about my long-term goals and aspirations. And once I wrote some things down and looked at my list, I realized so much of it was places in the world I wanted to see and people around the world I wanted to visit again. So I started developing this plan for around the world trip instead of working a normal job where hopefully I get two weeks to travel if I'm lucky per year, go to some far off place, spend half the time getting over jet lag and then come back to my job. (laughs) If I just left and then kept going, just hopping from one place to another until I got back, then it would be much more realistic for me to actually see all of these dozens of places around the world I wanted to see. And so I started making this plan, started out as an idea to spend maybe a year or more traveling. And by the time I left, it was about an 18-month outline. And by the time I got back, I had been traveling for almost two years, for about 22 months. So I basically headed west. I went to Australia for a few months, up to Japan for a few months. And then I went through Southeast Asia, Vietnam. Cambodia, Thailand, and Myanmar, and then into India and Sri Lanka, all the way over to Europe, to France, Spain, Italy, Germany, Denmark, the Netherlands, uh, with a side trip to Israel and Egypt, and then back through the United States, back to the West Coast. So that was that was the, the summary of the whole thing. That <laughs> wow. is amazing. I'm so curious, when you started traveling, did you have any concerns about eating plant-based? That's a lot of different places with very different cultures. And I know you lived with host families. Was that a concern for you? Yeah, it was a concern. I did some planning ahead of time, some of which was more effective than others. For instance, with you mentioned the host family. So I did a lot of woofing, which if your listeners don't know, is stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms and is basically an arrangement to work for a room and board with a host family, usually working on their farm. But it really depends. One of the families I stayed with, I was building things out of bamboo for them. And so I spent a lot of time woofing, sometime couch surfing and volunteering at different uh, animal sanctuaries, um, sometimes for weeks at a time. And so with those host families, I did have to plan ahead. Sometimes if it was like a farm animal sanctuary, then I knew all the food there was going to be vegan. Other times I had to do a little research and communicate with the host families beforehand to make sure that they were either vegan or vegetarian themselves or happy to accommodate Uh, my diet. So that was, did take a little extra planning, but it was, yeah, it was not, not too hard. And then the other thing I did, which was not as effective is I kind of naively assumed that if there was a country with a large Buddhist population, then probably there would be a lot of plant-based food in their traditional cuisine. What I did not realize in my limited research was that the dietary guidelines for different Buddhist communities varies drastically from from country to country. So for instance, Buddhists in Vietnam and Thailand are vegetarian, but Buddhists in Myanmar and Cambodia are not. So there was a a similar proportion of of Buddhists in the, those populations, but the actual cuisine was uh, very, very different. So that was kind of a naive, poorly planned part of it. But I also just knew that I was throwing myself out into the unknown and that there were going to be some challenges and that I I knew I, I'd be able to get through it, even if I had to live on rice and fruit for <laughs> a couple days at a time. How did you feel comfortable I know that within my own culture, food is so personal and 
when someone offers you food, it, it can be disrespectful to deny it. How did you navigate those situations, especially with language barriers? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's yeah something I've been asked before. And it's not as much of a problem from my perspective as a lot of people fear that it is. I think it it requires some some tactful navigation at times but you know i know different cultures are 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 different and so i don't want to just assume that everyone would behave like me but partly i think if somebody from another country from another culture came into my home and i made them some food and realized after the fact that their like religion made it so they they had to decline I would probably feel a little embarrassed. I would feel disappointed because I wanted to share food with them, but I wouldn't be offended unless they were a jerk about it, basically. Like I said, not everybody is going to respond the way that I would in that situation, but that was kind of my starting point in terms of navigating those situations was to just be communicative as early as possible and as as clearly as possible and to not be act entitled about it. So, you know, whether it was planning ahead for a homestay, just being really clear about my needs and what they are able and willing to accommodate. Or even if somebody is, you know, a random person meets me on the street in Egypt and they invite me into their home for some tea, just to communicate as early as possible the first mention of food or tea or something to just casually mention that I don't eat meat and and also dairy and eggs. And if that's too awkward, sometimes I would just say that I'm full or something. There can be some awkward situations. I'm not going to say that it's always smooth every time, but that's going to turn out a lot differently than if I, you know, if I act offended that they offered me something I don't want and demanded that they make me something special <laughs> to accommodate my needs, that's a, I'm a, going to be a much different situation. I have a friend who is my husband's friend. He has been over to our house to eat a few times and he is kosher. And mm-hmm. we have to eat on paper plates and our food has to come from a certain place. And I I'm someone who really, really, really loves sharing food. I love cooking for people to show them that they're welcome in my home and it's my love language. And I think I understand what you're saying as long as it's communicated early before I start preparing and before I start putting all that love into the food, it makes it so much easier to prepare and to still put that care and thought into making that person feel comfortable. So I think I understand what you're saying. Also, for anyone who's listening who will be traveling abroad or even traveling to someone's house and they feel a little bit uncomfortable or unsure of how to let people know, can you tell your experience of what you would say to that person in Egypt on the street who's inviting you for tea? How how do you go about working that into the conversation? Are you really blunt about it? I know that you're kind about it, but can you give us an example of what you would say? I mean, it varies quite a bit depending on the situation and the context. Obviously, uh, going to a friend's place here is going to be different than, you know, someone's home in Egypt or, you know, I've spent a lot of time in India and and that's a very different situation because there it's such a diverse country in terms of religions and each religion has their own sort of dietary guidance or restrictions. And so people are pretty used to like, oh, they don't eat X or Y because of their because this is who they are and more ready to accommodate that sort of thing. I mean, I think just keeping it simple and and like I said, polite but but blunt. You don't want to uh yeah, just to be honest about it and say, you know, I don't eat meat. You know, in some places that language might be a little bit different. In India, in India, you would say uh, something like, "I'm pure veg," or "I don't take non-veg," <laughs> something like that. Other places, you might just say, "No meat for me." And you know, sometimes, honestly, like the communication 
and language barrier can be such a challenge that, uh, as I referred to earlier, I might default to to the easier just saying I'm full. But you know, with a friend, I think the easiest thing that I've done is just to make sure that I'm not being a burden on people. And so instead of demanding, you know, just like I would with a, a guest in a foreign country or a host in a foreign country, instead of demanding that they accommodate me, just letting them know that I'm eating plant-based or not eating meat or whatever it is, and then bringing something delicious. So instead of saying, well, you have to make a new main dish just for me saying, okay, well, I'm glad that you have this like salad or side dish that I can eat. And I'm going to bring a a main dish that's going to be delicious that I can share with everybody who wants to have some. One of the things that I did when I traveled to Israel, because I mean, I speak a tiny little bit of Hebrew, but not a lot. And so I was I was thinking about if I was like in a restaurant situation and I just there was a language barrier where I, I didn't know how to communicate it. And they have these printable little cards that are basically visual indications of what you do and don't eat. So they have like a vegan card and any different dietary preference. They have these and it shows like a picture of meat with the like the red circle with the line through it and like a picture of an egg with the red circle with the line through it and a a glass of milk. So it shows it visually. And so I printed that. I had it in my wall. I don't think I ever used it because it's amazing how, how you can find a way to communicate often in most situations, but it was comforting to have that there. And then they also, this was a while ago, but I'm sure it still exists today. You can look at whatever country or language that you're going to be in that space. And they'll, you can print off a little card that basically translates what you want to say. I'm vegan and I don't eat a lot into that language. So doing a little bit of advanced prep so you can easily communicate that in situations where you might not be with us speaker of your same same language, that's really helpful as well. Yeah, that is definitely something that I did a little bit of. The sort of visual thing with the photo seems like the most, uh, well, awkward, but also (laughs) like universally useful method. It depends on where you are, of course, but I, I did see some of those, those cards, those sort of cheat sheet cards. And some of them are just, well, first of all, they're so complicated that I'm not sure it's going to end up result in like clear communication because it translates. I am vegan. I don't eat. And then there's like a list of a dozen things, including <laughs> like, you know, white sugar refined with bone charcoal or something like that. You know, (laughs) this is like by the time they get to down to like honey and these other more like obscure things, like they're probably just going to ignore you. (laughs) And then sometimes like depending on like the the country and the age and education level of the person you're trying to communicate with, like they might not be able to read the words even in their own language for all the different things Mm -hmm. that you're trying to specify. So sometimes just like the visual communication is best. Even when I was traveling in Vietnam, I was pretty ambitious about thinking I was going to learn the language there. And because I'm so bad at trying to speak in a tonal language like uh, Vietnamese, it was a huge failure. (laughs) So I struggled to like communicate in Vietnamese with people. And even when I was like looking for rice, sometimes I had to like Google a photo of rice to differentiate saying I'm looking for like a bag of dried rice grains instead of a meal at a restaurant that is (laughs) rice-based. So that visual communication sometimes is key. When you're in that position and maybe you get something wrong, or didn't communicate the most effectively, and someone gives you something, maybe even a host, they give you something that you don't eat, and they've already prepared it, what do you do? Well, I think it's a very personal decision, and is going to, is going to vary a, a little bit depending on the context. I think there are, for me, there are two considerations. One is the kind of ethical implications of what I do from there. 
and the other is just how how it's going to affect me i guess so for instance if you're at a restaurant and someone brings you a dish that's not entirely vegan even if there's just a small piece of cheese on it or something like that if you send it back to the kitchen it's likely they're just going to throw it in the garbage and that's not you know helping any animals for you to do that necessarily if you are in someone's home and they made a pot of something that's not vegan and you decline it well like it's going to be fed to them and the rest of their family so it's not it's not going to waste and then in terms of how it affects me this is the the most personal part of it because it's different for everybody the longer that i've been plant based the more i associate animal foods with the animals themselves and their experience and the whatever suffering may have been inflicted in creating that food rather than those associations have become much stronger than any sort of nostalgic memories that I have of eating that food as a kid or anything. So for me, there's a lot of most animal foods I just feel like I would not be able to eat. Like it would be just so profoundly upsetting to put that in my body. And that's not uh, a matter of like judgment or like you should feel that way. But I think it's it's completely valid to like honor how how it makes you feel to eat something because it you know aligns with your values or it doesn't. And I don't think we should totally disregard that feeling. I think it Hopefully is just that amazing sense. that not only did you leave behind your life, your work, your friends, your family with a backpack to travel for kind of undetermined amount of time, but a long time mm-hmm. on your own, but also you knew you'd be carrying with it these just very strong ethical feelings about food and you eat in a way that's different from almost every culture and place you'll be traveling to and not knowing how to communicate. There's just so much unknown. And I think it's so fascinating how you grew up in an environment that was that almost made it easy for you to go vegan. Very few mm-hmm. people have that experience. They have so much struggle in the beginning. But then you stepped into the hardest form of navigating vegan food of all. You've tried, you've been tried in every scenario, in every location, in every cuisine, in every small town or family or restaurant that you've really experienced it all. And and you come out the other end with such a wealth of knowledge and I admire it. And I also wonder, I mean, you're on your own and really all you have holding you to staying, staying vegan or staying plant-based or to saying, no, I'm not going to eat that is just your own ethics and how that makes you feel. Did you ever think about in the beginning or during your journey, "Mm, I don't know if I'm going to do this for the rest of the time traveling or were you just, it was fine. And, And were there experiences that just made you think, wow, I got to experience such cool things or cool foods that I wouldn't have if I wasn't eating this way? I think it's both. I mean, there are definitely, as I was mentioning before, there's so many incredible foods out there that most people, you know, in the US or most people who live in one country for their whole lives, whatever it is, are completely unaware of that are plant-based traditionally. And so I definitely experienced incredible foods and had incredible experiences because I was searching out these vegan foods, things that I wouldn't have otherwise you can definitely go travel abroad to most places in the world and just eat McDonald's the whole time, you know? So it's it's not as though eating meat by necessity just means that you have so much more open to you. Do you have some memories that are really distinct of an amazing food experience? I mean, there's so many. <laughs> For instance, in in Myanmar, they have this they call it i don't know what they call it in burmese but it's basically a a chickpea tofu kind of thing uh it's essentially a made from chickpea flour and basically chickpea flour mixed with water and like cooked and then cooled into kind of a slab that you would 
cut up and and use like tofu and they would have that on top of these like fresh rice noodles with cilantro and all these like special sauces and everything and you could get it just as like a street food in places and they would basically have this whole table of items that ingredients that you can pick and choose what you want in it and that was yeah incredibly good there was also a lot of stuff in vietnam that even though that was a really difficult country to travel in in some ways uh some of the street food there was so good they have this sweet tofu pudding in vietnam that i would just eat multiple bowls of this stuff every time i saw someone selling it on the street they would just have this large either bucket or like a large ceramic pot with this like creamy like soft tofu that was like still hot like that they had made it that morning and they would scoop some of it out into a bowl with uh, some ginger syrup and coconut cream and that sort of thing is just amazing and i think not just as a kind of foodie but as someone who's vegan looking specifically for okay i'm in this new place what are people eating like what of it is like available to me um what's plant-based just having more of a keen eye to things like that that i otherwise might not have seen or learned about and then of course there's the different hosts um that i specifically stayed with because they're vegan or vegan friendly the japanese family that i wrote about in uh, fukui that was some of the the most beautiful food that i've had the privilege of eating and to have somebody making it three times a day for me was just such a huge honor and joy and you know that would not have been the same if i was not seeking it out um similarly like staying at some of these um animal sanctuaries like this uh, sanctuary called ipoasi in pisa italy once a week they would bust out their their brick pizza oven and make this vegan pizza from scratch uh which was certainly you could have had a similar experience i suppose in a non-vegan setting but i don't know there's so definitely something really special about it for me and something i i appreciate it even more when you set out and you're like i don't know if there's going to be anything for me to eat here and then you find yourself in a situation like that just uh fills me with gratitude to be in that place. That sounds awesome. While you're traveling, you of course are with a lot of people, but you're also spending a lot of time getting from place to place. You're traveling from country to country, you're going on trains and planes and automobiles and how do you plan that part of your trip? I think it depends entirely on where you are some places uh, like india for instance even if you're on a a train ride that lasts 24 hours or more you're still going to be have access to like vendors at all of the train stations that you stop at and walking up and down the aisles and they're all going to have plant-based options for you some places it's going to be a little harder and you might want to make sure you have some load up on snacks from the local grocery store or even some cliff bars or something like that from home it really just depends or if you can just pack a lunch for yourself it's a matter of researching if it's a place that you haven't been to before a lot of times you can just google eating vegan in this country or that country and it's going to tell you okay, well, these are the things you can find at a restaurant and these are the kind of local foods that you can get at the market or at grocery stores. And so you kind of just have to do a little research and plan ahead. One thing that's not quite the same as traveling on public transport, but I did um, drive a motorbike down the length of Vietnam for a few weeks. And a really great tip that uh, was given to me was to bring a rice cooker with me. And so I actually had this little rice cooker that was big enough to make about two meals worth of food wrapped up in in a bag and strapped to the back of my motorbike. And so no matter where I ended up, a city or a tiny village in the middle of nowhere, I could go to the little market 
in the middle of town and I could get some veggies from the vendors there and some rice and some lentils and coconut and throw it all in the rice cooker. And 25 minutes later, I would have a delicious meal. So that was a great tip that I am so grateful that uh, was given to me. That was a lifesaver. Michelle and I talk about this regularly on the podcast, but here in the United States, especially when traveling by car, I always bring my instant pot with me so that I can cook full meals in the hotel or Airbnb or wherever we're staying. And it'll help save money and ensure that we're eating nutritious plant-based food on the go. Is Happy Cow, does that work across all countries? Yeah, it's better in some places than others because it's mostly this kind of crowdsourced, community-based database if there's not people in that particular town or country who either live there or travel there who are uploading photos and descriptions and entries for these different restaurants, then, you know, there might not be a whole lot on there. But yeah, I used Happy Cow. I used the app all around the world and it was super helpful in some places. Like I said, it's it's not going to be as comprehensive. You know, if you're in like a European city, then probably it's going to be very thorough. If you're in a small town in Asia somewhere, then it's probably not going to have this like vendor at the market who has this like street food that's vegan. (laughs) You know, so the hidden gems. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely depends on the country, but it was, yeah, very helpful almost everywhere I went. I feel like you could have done a huge service for all future of traveling vegans by just like marking every spot you found out. Yeah, I actually did did upload a lot to to Happy Cow and just like Google Yeah. Um Google reviews or whatever, basically with that exact thing in mind. You know, if they had a bunch of reviews, I didn't really bother with them, but if it's a place where there was very little information online and it was actually some of the most delicious food that I had, you know, all week, then I would definitely make sure to leave a review and upload photographs so that other people could find it. That's so helpful. When I traveled to Spain with my mom, it was a trip that my mom wanted to go on and she, I was just kind of coming to spend time with her. So I didn't at all think of it as like, what am I going to eat? What cool experiences am I going to have? But I pulled up my Happy Cow app when we were there and when we were going to different places my mom wanted to go to. And it was so cool. This was maybe five years ago. And so many little, like little vegan grocery store, tons of restaurants with awesome vegan options, like a vegan bakery, things that I never would have found had I not pulled up the Happy Cow app. It, It just... I don't know. It was really, really fun. It made the trip have this whole element of extra excitement that I didn't even plan for. Yeah, it's definitely, it can be a lifesaver and just, you know, turn you on to places that you would never have found otherwise. And I, I will also say, having done a lot of traveling relatively recently, and I've done some traveling, you know, a decade or more ago, things are, it's so much easier to find plant-based food in a lot of places than it used to be. Even in places like India, where still the majority of the vast majority of like the vegan food that you find is actually just kind of traditionally vegan rather than like a specifically marketed as vegan restaurant. Usually those ones are more like serving American style food or something like that. But still, uh, compared to when I, I lived in India in 2010, and and nobody knew what the word vegan meant. Like even though I said that like they're open minded to like different kinds of diets for different reasons, nobody had actually like heard the word vegan. Uh, when I came back years later, about six years later, so many people knew knew what I was talking about, or I just heard and saw the word vegan um, so much more. Um, similarly, when I I went to to Spain also in 2012, I believe, or no, not 2012, 2005, I think. And there was one gelato shop that had like two vegan flavors of gelato. And I was so thrilled about it. And 
on my big trip, I went back through Spain and I remember finding this all 100% vegan gelato shop and with so many different flavors, got a huge, you know, triple scoop cone and took it to the beach. And before I even got to the beach, I passed another completely vegan gelato shop. And I was just blown away by how many options there were. So it can be a challenge at times, depending on where you go, but it's entirely possible and it's getting easier and easier. Awesome. Well, on that note, Michelle and I are going to go eat some lunch because we are hungry after hearing you talk about all the delicious foods that you've been able to experience while traveling abroad. And we appreciate you sharing all of the stories and uh, tips and advice for anyone who's considering traveling abroad. We really appreciate your time. And thank you for being on the Plant Powered People podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And we will link any resources that you have to share with people, as well as your book, The Weight of Empathy, all in the show notes. So all those listening can find more from Lucas there. Speaking of the holidays, we're excited to highlight our next sponsor, which is Flora Plant Butter, which is coming in clutch for Tony and myself in terms of holiday baking. It is great in cookies, of course, cakes, pies, pastry doughs, whatever you're cooking up to spoil your friends and family or just yourself. Make yourself some treats over the holidays. Don't forget about Flora Plant Butter. If you listen to the show, you know how much we love them. And just like we were talking about with Live Bar, something that's huge that we appreciate is that they make it easy on us to make good, sustainable choices that are going to benefit our planet. Michelle and I are always looking for the best companies who just care about sustainability. And Flora Plant Butter is one of those companies. And by not having their product in a plastic tub, like which is commonly found amongst all butters, they have theirs wrapped in paper. And that is just the best thing for us. Yeah, it's such a simple swap. I, I always love when you can find eco swaps where you don't actually have to modify anything in your life other than pick up a different product that acts the same. So their butter, just like any plant-based butter, can be substituted one-to-one for a dairy butter in recipes. So if you are newer to cooking vegan, just pick up some plant-based butter like flora plant butter for your holiday for your holiday cooking. And I'm sure you're going to love it. It's trusted by chefs all over the world and is pretty much the gold standard for plant butters. And we know from our own experience that it holds up really well. I know for me, I like to make my own buttercream frostings or just all different types of frostings. And I know that it will hold up and stay in its shape. And I appreciate that. We will share some of our favorite holiday baking recipes for cookies and other things that we're going to love making over the holiday season. We'll put that in the show notes. So you can check that out at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And if you want to learn more about Flora or see where you can find them in stores near you, check out flora.com. Thank you so, so much, Flora Plant Butter, for sponsoring this episode. Oh, yeah. And you can also check them out on Instagram where they share a lot of vegan and plant-based content creators, sweet videos, and they team up with a lot of content creators. Tony and I have have created a lot of recipes with them. So just love the brand and their Instagram handle is at floraplantus. So if you're on your phone, you can give them a follow. Thanks, Flora. Well, I am leaving feeling both very inspired by Lucas's travels. (laughs) I partially feel like I don't really have any inkling to travel again. But after hearing about all of that delicious food, I'm like, all right, how many planes do I have to take to get there? It sounds amazing. I know. I feel like, like you, I have this strong desire to experience other foods and just lifestyles in general. I'll go see how people live and what they eat. And still, I also want to stay home. (laughs) I wish... I wish I could do both. There's this ride at Disneyland. Do you remember that ride we went on and you got on the ride and you you had like air blowing through your hair and you got to see all these different parts of the world. Oh, yeah. And it had like smells of different foods that you were seeing on the virtual reality thing. I feel like I wish I had that at my house. That is my type of travel. Yeah, He really made a good point when he was like, it takes so much time to take one trip somewhere. Like half the time spent is is traveling back and forth. And it, it, what he did was the most efficient form of traveling. And I, I admire it. 
because I couldn't pick up and leave for two years, but also because he just went into the complete unknown by himself, ready to navigate tricky waters of travel, communication, just finding where to stay the next night is a challenge in itself. But also he rocked it on the vegan front at the same time. It really makes me feel like going to my uncle's house for dinner, if there's nothing plant-based there, is not so hard. (laughs) I can speak the language. I can bring food that I cook in my house or pick something up locally and bring a dish to share. And it, it, in comparison, seems not that hard. Mm -hmm. No language barriers. Yes. There's that. Michelle took a trip last summer to Hawaii and she said, I'm going for 10 days. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a long time, Michelle. And Meanwhile, Lucas is traveling for 22 months. (laughs) That is a long time to travel. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to see other episodes that we have, we're doing more in January. So check those out if you haven't listened to them. They are at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And if you would like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be so, 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 so awesome. We really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a beautiful rest of your day, night, evening, morning. (laughs) Sending you virtual hugs through the microphone, and we will talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Just a reminder, whether you are staying home and whipping up amazing things in your kitchen... You can do so with Flora Plant Butter, or if you're traveling, definitely check out Live Bar. They are an amazing snack that you can bring with you, not have that plastic packaging, and it's healthy on the go, which is kind of hard sometimes when you're traveling. So we definitely recommend checking those companies out, flora.com and livebar.com. 